0: And I'm here on staff with University Ministries as the Neighborhood Outreach Coordinator. Yeah, that was me, Halloween, freshman year, looking good. Made that shirt, by the way. Um, oh my gosh, okay. But anyways, anyways, um, part of my job is a blast because I just get to dream with Jesus about inviting him into our neighborhood. Um, but tonight, I'm really excited to be here and speak before you, and as most of us have done and we've brought some pictures along to introduce um, who we are, and so the first shout out goes to the parents, Bill and Bartley, they're so cute, they're here tonight. Um, I've got some awesome parents, they feel awesome that they're here and have a flight tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. out of SeaTac, so they're champs, um, but I love them, my family, we're all from Seattle. I was born and raised in Sammamish, Washington, and I'm also one of three siblings. Um, here's a really adorable photo of us when we were younger. That's me on the left, and my little sister Michelle, older brother Justin, looking so cute in that floral print, and my brother's really awesome bowl cut. Um, but but the good news is we grew up, and we've matured a little bit. There we are. Um, and we're all Washington Huskies. Um, my whole family are at Washington Huskies, which is really awesome both my mom and dad went here and were also involved in the Greek system. My mom was a Theta. My brother got into school. He joined a fraternity. I came. I became a Theta. And then my sister came. And then she was a Theta. So all that to say uh, we have a huge heart. I have a huge heart for the Greek system. And, um, And through my season of being in the Greek system that's really when I came to know who Jesus was. And I had a I developed a huge heart for our college ministry, and so I didn't want it to be over. So I applied to be an intern. But instead of doing it here in Seattle, I got to do it down at Malibu Presbyterian Church, where I met the other intern, Michael. Um, so that's Michael there on the left. He is awesome. So yeah, he was intern intern year before me. Long story short, we started dating. You can all say, "Oh, that's so cute!" And so many people asked me as time went on if I knew what I was getting myself into, dating Michael. But in my eyes, I'd say I've got the cream of the crop up there. And <laughs> <laughs> and after <laughs> and after three years, uh, we got married this past August, which is pretty awesome. And there we are. Um, and right before I got married, I moved back to Seattle and because I wanted to pursue this job and applied for it, got it, which I'm so excited about. And that was like my face when I thought I got this job. So I was just excited to come back to Seattle and be with you guys and like pursue this. To me, this is like my dream job. Um, I want to do it forever. I told Annika, who had it before me when I was a senior, that i do anything for it, so I feel really special that I'm here and getting to do this. Um, But enough about me. Tonight, we're here because you want to hear about Jesus. And um, we're going to be continuing in on our series of looking at um, God's purpose over um, God's plan. And we've been looking at these questions that Scripture asks for the purpose of helping us guide us in questions that the world might ask or people you know might ask you. And essentially, um, we're getting to navigate uh, these talks as we look at how God's purpose guides our life's journey. And Ryan and I started us off um, by looking at Adam and when God asked him, where are you? And if you were here last week, Jamie dropped the truth on us as we talked about who, when Jesus asked, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And tonight, we are going to look at the text of John 5 when Jesus proposes the question, do you want to be made well? So if we can throw up the text up on the screen, we can start reading. It's John 5, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through 15. And it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then he asked, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn and a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. So no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. And before we move on, please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you loved us first, that you pursue us, God. I just pray that your Holy Spirit is present in this place and speaking to us tonight, God. I just rid myself of anything that's not of you, God, and I just ask that you take over and you speak through me, God, that no words um, spoken tonight are without your anointing, God. God, we just pray that we find hope in you this evening, God, and that everything that is said points to your goodness, God, and that you be glorified. We love you, and we thank you. Amen. So how many of you guys enjoy the holiday season around Christmas? pretty awesome, right? Like, so fun. Holidays are a blast. And they also have the strangest things that come up. For example, Black Friday is crazy. How many of you guys have done Black Friday? Like, don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand if you've done Black Friday shopping. There's a lot of you. Okay so if i'm really honest with myself i've never actually done a black friday event because i've been so intimidated by like the insane news stories that come out from it like i mean you've seen them like they're like they're just crazy they show the chaos of it all and the enormous lines outside of places like target or walmart um i heard this story that this past winter there was two women who actually stock or stayed outside of a Best Buy for 22 days before the Black Friday sales, so that they could be first in line. 22 days they camped outside of Best Buy. Like, that's insane. And you can imagine them. When the doors opened, it was just like the mad dash. They're probably taking people and throwing them out of their ways and Gosh, if you've heard more stories like people like get pushed over it people like fall on the ground and have been trampled on because of black friday deals and just the stress and the anxiety in these stores must be so much and it's all for the price that's in these people's eyes if they can just get that gift then they'll be well then they'll be happy as i think about black friday and the insane social environment of it, I believe it really is this very similar raw picture of humanity that we actually experience at the pool of Bethesda that we see in John 5. And as the text reads, um, Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast of the Jews. And on his way, he comes upon this pool. And this pool is in a very outcasted area of the city. And it was named Bethesda. And um, in Greek, it was actually called the house of kindness, which I think is a very fitting term given the desperate state of the people that are there. Um, But the text invites us to realize that there is a multitude of people gathered at this pool. You can imagine hundreds of people are there, if not thousands are there. And I think it's really unique that the text points out that there are actually five porches at the pool, because the number five in the Bible is the number of grace. So what we really have painted for us is this image of hurting humanity, lying in the house of kindness, where grace is there and available. And to get us in more of the headspace of this story, I want you to imagine with me tonight that you are at the pool right now. And at this time in ancient tradition, if you were blind, lame, sick, paralyzed, and have some disease, it was believed by all that it was really God's judgment against you. Because either you have sinned against God or your ancestors have sinned against God. People have no empathy for you. There's no compassion. You have little concern to them. And you would never have anybody of a healthy nature coming to visit you at a pool. You are outcasts. You're unworthy of attention. You're the sick. You're the desperate. And maybe you come to the pool of Bethesda because you've heard about its healing properties. Or maybe you're there because your family has given up on you. They left you there because they have no hope to make you well and have left you there and left you behind. The people that are around you have probably been there for years, maybe longer, but you've been there for decades. You've been there for decades. And no one is relaxing in this place you're all like packed in like sardines. Can you imagine like living on top of each other? And not only that, but the smell is probably repulsive. The sun its not like grammar day, going to the pool, get my son on. Like you are not excited probably to be at this pool, but this is where you are. You feel cramps and uncomfortable, and everyone is probably socially and relationally manipulating each other because tr- they're trying to figure out who can help them get into that pool. Because if they get into the pool, then their bodies will be healed. And you can't take your eyes off the pool. Like, your eyes are on the pool every second of every day, because if you turn away, you can miss that moment when the angel stirred the water. But the second that it does happen, it's like this mad dash to the pool. Like Black Friday. Black Friday, Everybody's running towards it. And only the smartest or the fastest or the wisest or whomever can get there gets there. And you've been there and you keep missing out. You've lost the race more times than you can imagine. But imagine the life-changing opportunity it would be for you to be able to get into the pool. To be able to see for the first time. Maybe even to walk for the first time in your entire life. So you can start to envision the constant chaos of this place, right? And the Bible tells us that Jesus comes upon this calamitous scene of sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. And as he comes, the camera zooms in on one person. This person whose name we never end up knowing, but we do know that he's been in this environment for over 38 years. And as a person who's been lame for this long, we can imagine that the disease that he has is no longer an external disease at this point. All the emotions that come with lying at the pool for 38 years of hopelessness and frustration and anxiety have permeated his entire being. He feels oppressed. He feels absolutely unworthy of any anyone's attention but he is worthy of one person's attention. He's worthy of Jesus's attention. And Jesus comes and he takes notice of him. And the first point I want us to catch tonight is that Jesus is a pursuer. He pursues us and he always pursues us first. And we know this because as it comes to this man, this man is in his view, his vision, his focus, even before he even knew who he was. And as Jesus comes upon this man, he says to him, do you want to be made well? And the man says to him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is turned up or stirred up. And but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And what he's really saying is, yes, I want to be healed. Are you kidding me? I've been here for 38 years. Do you not think I've been trying? I've tried to ask anybody and everybody that I've ever seen to help me get into the pool. And I've tried again and again. You have no idea how many times I've lost the race to the pool. I'm starting to give up hope, feel lost. And I'm here and I'm frustrated. No one's going to help me. And I believe that there's many of us in this room tonight that carry that same viewpoint that sense of hopelessness, of helplessness, of ever seeing the future being changed or look differently than it does for you right now. And I can imagine the man is also thinking, who the heck are you? Waltzing around like walking's not a problem and you look all happy and go lucky and well, if you're here and you're trying to help, I have a plan for you. And that plan, Jesus, well, I guess I don't know your name, but my plan for you is for you to get me into that pool when the water stirs, because if you do, then I will be made well. Isn't that us? Our eyes get so locked on our plan and what we want that if we ever consider Jesus in it or pray about it, we're trying to manipulate Jesus into giving us what we want. We think if we pray and ask Jesus, Jesus, just get me into my major or give me that job post-graduation or find me a really beautiful girl. Come on, Jesus. If you give me these things, like then I'm going to be made. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, we really wrestle with believing that Jesus is enough. The person of Jesus is enough to satisfy our desires. And so, instead of seeking to know that He's the one that satisfies, we either look for the blessings that come from His hands, or we go to the world to find it from the world's hands. But I'm here to tell you the good news. I'm here to let you know tonight that Jesus doesn't want to just carry you to the to the pool to be made well. He makes you well. Jesus doesn't want to guide you or to guide you leading to the pool. Jesus is a healer. He makes you well. He isn't a means to the end. Jesus is the means. And the second point I want you to hear tonight is that Jesus is the means. He's the point. There's nothing that comes after him. He is exactly what you're looking for to be made well. And friends, when Jesus asks us, do we want to be made well? He's also saying, I want to do it for you. I want to do it for you. I went to the cross and I died and I paid for your sins and when I rose from the grave. I, your sins went with me and they died and they were left in the grave. And so when I rose, they remained. And now we're here so that you can be free. I didn't just die for you. I died as you, I carry the resurrection power to bring you from death into life. I am the way, but the reality is that it also requires for you to yield to me. It takes humility. To be able to say and let go of our pride that says, I'm trying to do by myself. And let go of our self-righteousness and letting the healer do it for us. Just as Jesus declared healing over the lame man, we have an opportunity to respond in faith tonight as declarations of healing are spoken over us. And if we get back to the text, we actually enter into a very critical moment in the story. Jesus is about to change this hopeless man's vision. Sir, I know that you've forever seen your bed carrying you, but I'm here tonight to let you know that you're about to see yourself carrying your bed. So rise, take up your mat and walk. And the man took up his bed and walked. When Jesus said to the man, rise, what he was really saying is get up, get up. The resurrection power of holy spirit allowed this man to stand. And it was a collaboration of a collaboration of the power of God and the lame and I believe the lame man's posture of humility that healed him. You find so many statements in the New Testament that um, after Jesus healed people, he would go and say your faith has made you well. And I believe this is what it required for the lame man. That he got to, he finally let go of trying to do it on his own. He swallowed his pride and he believed in his heart in faith that he could be healed. Sometimes faith requires an action. Even when we don't feel the emotion or we don't want to, it's choosing to set our eyes on scripture and read what the truth says about your reality but we have to ask him. Jesus says that he, it's, an opportun, it's, or it's our choice to be in relationship with him. And if it's our choice, he can't force himself on us. So if we don't ask, we can't receive anything. If you don't invite him in, he can't do anything. But if, I, but if you invite him in tonight, I believe just like this man, Jesus also wants to step into your circumstances and lift you up tonight. If we go back to the text, it says, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, or it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn and a multitude being in that place. Because the Jewish leaders were so focused on adhering to the law, they could not see that this man who has never walked is now standing and walking. All that they can see is that he's doing manual labor on a Sabbath. Friends, it's wrong. But have you been that guy? I have. It is embarrassing to admit. God's just done a miracle in somebody's heart and soul. But because their outside and their exterior doesn't match up with what you expect a Christian should look or act like, according to your understanding of the gospel, we can't even see their healed or restored hearts. All that we can see is they're not adhering to the lifestyle that you expect that they should be adhering to. It's like, well, well Becca, know what? No, Becca. Did you just see they went from being, from death to life? They went from being blind to be able to see, that now that they're lost, and now that they're found, that they're lame and now they're walking, but, but he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath. I don't care that he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath. It is, you were, we are were called to go celebrate this guy, throw him a dance party, like, he is made well. And I love that the Jewish leaders ask him twice. They're like, who is it that made you well? Who is it that has told you to carry your bed? But the man said, I I don't know. But he will know soon. And you want to know why he comes to know that it was Jesus? It's because Jesus sent himself to him. He pursued him. The Bible says that he withdrew himself from the scene, but then Jesus goes to find him in the temple. He goes out of his way to find him in the temple. I'm sure he walked up to him and introduced himself and be like, him, Jesus. But why does this matter? We've seen so many, if we read through the gospels, there's so many miracles of what Jesus did. And so why does it matter? Like, why don't, why didn't Jesus just move on? Like he got, he gave us me and the radical transformation. He'd be, he was asking for, for 38 years. Why did he come to the temple? I believe he came to the temple because Jesus wanted more for him. He didn't want him just to know him as a healer, or for him to know that he can walk. Jesus wanted him to worship. He didn't just want for him to be healed, but to know him. I'm Jesus. I healed you. And the third thing I want us to catch tonight is that Jesus is our salvation. Picking up in the text, it says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. This acknowledge This is an interesting part of the text. Just hanging with me, what is Jesus really saying here? I believe he's preaching the gospel again. He's looking on and going, "So is it real? Is it is it real that you've been made well?" He's like, "Well, yeah, I, I can walk now. I'm, it's real. It's yeah. Okay. Well, what I'm also about to tell you is real too. Stop sinning. Sinning is real." Something worse may happen to you. Something worse than being lame. It's called separation from God. You need to stop sinning. And what is that saying, church? What is that saying? The only way you can stop sinning is by worshiping the sinless Savior. He's saying, you need me. It's just about me. Follow me. Come with me. I want to show you. Do you see how drastic it is when Jesus comes into our lives? He's not just about healing one area of your life. He's about transforming it all. He wants you to be more than just healed. He wants you to be free. He wants to actually make you a new creation. That's why it matters. And up until this point, that man has been oppressed his entire life. You can imagine the insecurities that he has rising up in him. But because he's transitioning away from putting his identity in anything else but Jesus, he's now going from insecure to being secure. And so secure that the only reaction he has right now is that he's the boiling up on the inside and Jesus' name is all that's on his lips. He's so excited to celebrate what Jesus did in his life. The text says that the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Jesus is all on the tip of his tongue, and he wants everybody to know. It's all I can think about, and I love that. And tonight, as we're gathered here in this house of kindness, in this place that's covered in God's grace, we have an invitation. We have an invitation to let go of our plans that tell us, once this happens, then I'll be made well. Jesus wants for you to know that you can be made well tonight, right now. His means may be different than what you're looking for, though. Maybe his timing isn't your timing, or maybe it doesn't look the way that you expected it to look, or it doesn't meet your expectations His means could be immediate physical healing. I've been healed. I've seen people be healed. I believe God can do that. I also have seen him do emotional healing in a a flash of a moment too. But maybe his means say, I just want you to know my character. I want you to know me. In his presence, you might experience Jesus just comforting you with a supernatural peace. Or maybe he's giving you the hope that you never have had before as you choose to trust in him and give him your burdens. Our God is good. He loves you. He's for you. He only wants good things for you and only has good gifts to give you. But we get so caught up in our own specific unanswered prayers that we just throw in the towel. We're a culture that likes to pray as soon as possible prayers. Um, we get really annoyed when websites don't load fast enough. Like, we have no patience. But I believe Jesus actually invites us to pray as long as it takes prayers. So, you pray tonight and you ask Him for healing. And if it doesn't happen, you can wake up tomorrow and you ask for full healing again. And if it doesn't happen tomorrow, you keep asking and you keep asking again and again and again and you don't give up. And the good news is that every time you're praying, you're in His presence, and that's good. And for a large part of my life, I've struggled with self-worth. I never felt like I was enough or could be loved unconditionally by Jesus. I was always comparing myself to the person on my right or on my left. And when I joined Theta, it was like every, impo- every possible insecurity could not be more obvious to me. And clearly it didn't take long for me to seek out security and what the world have to offer me. I would go to places trying to fill voids that caused me to not feel enough. But then I would find myself lying in my bed crying out to God, like, take this away. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to feel this way. And I would go back and forth, whether I'm going to a frat or I'm actually trying to pray about it, or come to the inn, and it's back and forth and back and forth. But as I would give up on Jesus and give up on these seasons and go back to this, all that was happening was this pile of guilt that I was building and the burdens became super heavy and it was so hard to hold on to them and but because of his grace I don't know how but I kept going back to the end for some reason and then I would find myself signing up to go to summer camp and I think really on the inside all that I wanted to do was be in this place that told me who I was really was um, and I knew that I lived in this this tension of the, not, or the already, but not yet. So I knew that scripture promised me healing, but I didn't know when it was going to happen exactly. But then there was that time in the one summer where I really hit the lowest of the low. But that was when Jesus started to, or I became aware that Jesus was truly pursuing me. After years of battling the same thing, he showed up and he was like, I just... I just want you to come and be with me just hang out with me so that when you're in my presence I can just shower you with the truth of who you are and when I used to think that he was never there he was like I've been with you this close the whole time in the same room and I've been trying to get your attention like this for ages that's the reality Becca He wanted to show me that he died on the cross for me and that when he died on the cross for me all my burdens were taken care of when jesus went to the cross and that my reality is that i was free and i got to walk in freedom and then i'm loved and then i'm his daughter and that i get to inherit the promises of the kingdom and he kept asking me becca i don't keep a record of your wrongs so why are you holding on to them you can be free He showed me how to put my identity in him and that I was loved. And it was never about anything that I could do for him. It was never about how much I could love Jesus back. It was really only about Jesus loving me. And that's all that mattered. And that began the healing process for Jesus. But it began when I chose to put my eyes on him. When I responded in humility and said, I can't do it, but I know that you can. And when I would get into his presence, he started to show me who I am and whose I am when times got bad. And that's when the lies started to become quiet. Because they will still surface. You'll feel like you have a thorn in your side, like Paul talked about. But Scripture tells us that Jesus promises the grace that we need to get through every day. Like He has daily bread ready to give you so that you're satisfied and can feel good and healthy and whole each day. And I can say with confidence that I will experience full healing in Jesus. And I can say with confidence that we as a group will experience healing in Jesus. Whether it's tonight, tomorrow, later in this lifetime, or maybe it won't happen until you get to heaven. But the good news is that we serve a good God that loves us, that he promises for all things to be made new, and the, tonight we can go and rest in the Father's love and that his love give us us, gives us peace in the present while we wait. God's purpose is for us to know him. That's what he wants you to know. He wants you to know him, to know his face. that He's the means to what you're looking for tonight. And as we close, I want us to actually imagine Jesus walking in the room right now. Imagine that he's walking towards you and sits down beside you right now. You might have given up on him, but he has never given up on you, not even once. He's been waiting for this moment because you're finally creating the space to be with him, amidst the busyness. He desires intimacy with you, and he's just yearning for you to open up your heart and let him in. He wants to do it for you, and he knows everything that you need. Right now, even before you can even get the words out, he knows what you're thinking and knows what you need. Take your eyes off yourself and look into Jesus' eyes instead. Take your eyes off your mountain and put it on the mountain mover. What is Jesus saying to you right now? Listen to the questions that he would ask you from Matthew 11. Are you tired by your pool? Are you worn out by the tension and the anxiety and the unpredictability of your existence? Are you burnt out on lifeless religion and moral concepts and do Then come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. A real rest. See, we'll walk together. And you'll walk with me, and you'll work with me, and you'll watch how I do it. Here's what I want. I want for you to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. To live in the unforced, in the unhurried, in the unrushed, the unanxious, the unweary place. Trust me, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Stay with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What is our response going to be tonight? You want to be made well. We're going to give you this time to sit in his presence and process. Listen to what Jesus is telling you tonight. If your heart's racing, he's probably telling you to take a faith step forward. If you've never known him before and you've never asked him into your heart, that prayer corner is calling your name. Go back there. Don't miss the chance to invite Jesus into your heart. If you need prayer, someone to come alongside of you in prayer, to be able to take the burdens off together, you can go back there and people will pray for you. But take this time to be with him, to listen to what he has to say to you, to hear that you're loved and that he's enough to take it all away. Do you want to be made well?